All right, podcast listeners, I'm back. Uh, today, I'm at the California Center for Psychedelic Studies with uh, Cole Marta and Brooke Balliette. Uh, can you maybe tell them what your titles are here at the uh, center? Sure. Um, we are co-owners and co-founders. And I'm the clinical director working with ther- team of therapists. Um, and a therapist myself. And I'm the medical director for California Center for Psychedelic Therapy. Um, I'm a psychiatrist by training and uh, lead the medical team here. And um, we also do research with psychedelics here. Yeah, cool, cool. So you might say you guys are kind of experts in psychedelics. Psychedelic use and (laughs) use as a therapy. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Because I think there's a lot of parts of psychedelic use that I don't think we're experts in also. Right, but right. But when it comes to medicine and therapy That's our... and clinical trials and research within a medical or therapeutic sort of space. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, where we live these days. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. Because I get a lot of questions from young people uh-huh. about psychedelics, about the different states that they should expect, uh-huh. the different kind of... Uh, you know, they all hear terrible stories of, like, throwing up and, you know, getting bad drugs and, you know, what a bad trip is. And, you know, it, it can really scare people away. Right. But I've always found, for the most part, I've had bad trips. But I learned from those, I think. For I learned sure. a lot from those bad trips. Mm-hmm. And so I think even those you shouldn't really be afraid of so much as, like, oh, shit, Aware that now that it's time. Happen. Here it's happening. <laughs> and it's never How am I going to deal with this situation? Right. Well, it's you like, know? You, you know, you open the door. Yeah. And then whatever's on the other side is what's on the other side. And so it's, to me, like, by, be, by opening the door, you have to be prepared that what's there is what you open the door to. And I think there's that element of it. That's like, you think we can prepare people for that? Yeah. As people who've yeah. you know, done it can. a bunch? Like, that's what we do a lot. Here is we take the responsibility of the like set and set, trying to control the set and setting. People well, the dosage too is times. a big thing too. I imagine you could ease the people dosage, in for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know? on some level. And you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I've yeah. seen a lot of people using a lot of different substances in this setting. And yeah. on some way, it's like almost a catch twenty two though, because you could. You could sort of say, like, oh, you're going to have a lower dose. And then, like, people have an ego death anyway because of yeah, some that's mystery that's, like, still not solvable. Yeah. And yeah. the other way around, you could say, like, oh, this is a, a, a larger dose. Like, within the larger range of doses that we would want to treat somebody for this particular thing that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they're like, wah, wah. I just sat there and thought about my laundry the whole time. Right. And yeah. it seems like you kind of can't. You can't gauge what's going to hit with certain people. Part of the preparation is preparing for the unknown and being open to the fact that any of those things can happen. And that is what you're asking for. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want one particular thing, you're kind of setting yourself up to be disappointed, scared. That's the primary. That's That's a key thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You mentioned ego death. Kind of casually. I don't think. I don't think the kids. I, that's the thing. I don't think young people sure. understand like what you're talking about. Like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. Ego death. Oh, yeah. So yeah, maybe explain that because that is part of 
a lot of psychedelic experiences depending i mean at a certain yeah. dosage yeah right yeah. so yeah talk about that a so, little so i mean the the idea of ego is like a psychological idea that sort of our identities and who we are and the way we present as individual people in the world is like sort of egoic it's like ourselves right our individual yeah. selves and everybody has one and the idea of an ego death with psychedelics or any type of like non-ordinary state is that that dissolves and so you have some type of a sense often indescribable but when people come back from it, which you do, you don't actually die. Your ego right. doesn't actually die, nor does your body. But it feels like you're not you. Like, and a lot of people articulate that as, like, I, I thought I died. I experienced yeah. myself dying. And the transcendent, sort of otherworldly, collective experience that can come from not, like, being you anymore. Mm, yeah. People yeah. forget who they are. Yeah. People really get the whole process as if they are dying, like watching themselves or experiencing themselves. That can be a bad trip. Die. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like that that can be that people can describe the ego death in a, like all kinds of like with charge to it in different ways. Like it could be the most terrifying thing cuz the ego dying, the self dying is a sense that I'm dying, you mm -hmm. know, for a lot of people that's what it feels like is oh my god, I'm dying. And other people will just like kind of seem to just transition right into like non-existence and be blissed out in that place, you know. That's what happens to me. Yeah, I'm like sweet. <laughs> I really enjoyed yeah, yeah. it. Like I remember mm -hmm. one of the first times you have to be to willing to surrender to yeah. that thing, though that yeah. resistance that happens when it's like when you're like I don't know what's going on. If you're the kind of person who's like I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to like, <clears throat> dig my fingernails into the side of the wall. And stop from falling. Hmm. That's going to be uh, a longer, most likely. That resistance itself can lead to the the bad trip. Hmm. You know, like that's a common kind of bad trip people can mm -hmm. have. Sometimes bad trips are just like thinking about something dark or something thinking about something mm -hmm. difficult to think about. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, what we try to do when we're talk working with patients here. Um, in anticipation of that potentially happening to them while they're in the room, we just encourage people to surrender and let go, that we'll take care of the outside. So we're trying to like make sure they feel safe. Um, and so, yeah, if you're taking mushrooms or acid and going to a rave, for example, and you're not planning to feel like you're dying that night, <laughs> that's a really because it difficult is a possibility, time. right? As part of the experience, way. yeah. I feel like I felt that in those situations that I call personally crossover, where I can't tell if my eyes were open or closed. Yeah. And, but there's still some you that's observing it. Yes. Even though your body, your conception of who you are, like your name becomes a ridiculous notion. Right. You know, laughable, yeah. Or even Absurdity. if you can even remember that you have a name. Like sometimes you'll be well, like, sure. I know that there's right. something What's, that I don't have. But you get different. to that place. Yeah. 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 It's great, I think, that you're bringing up too that like um, resistance is a thing that uh, fucks with the flow. For sure. Yeah. You know? And I think that was common when we were amateurs. Yeah. experimenting with mushrooms and LSD is like teenagers right. you yeah. know that um, thinking you can just take some mushrooms and go to a party 
even though you have beef with somebody at the party or your ex-girlfriends at the party. You're like, yeah. You know, it's like not thinking. Like thinking it's like having some beers and going to a party or something yeah. like that. Well, yeah. Which we I can... also feel like there's a diff- there's like a reason in history why it's been like creative people, creators, right? Mm-hmm. That, that like the out-of-the-box people that have historically used all kinds of drugs, but including right. psychedelics, is that it's like, there is a mindset often with people who are creative that's sort of like, I'm cool for whatever, like, I don't know what's going to happen next, I like the creative process, and I think that, so sort of thinking about if you're preparing to use, like, where do you land on that spectrum, right? You like mm. very straight list, and you like things to be under control, and you want to know always what the next step is, and you want to feel like you have authority over that, like, that's not going to go as well, because these substances, like, take take you to a different realm where mm-hmm. none of the rules that exist in like daily life exist in the same right. way. And so that can be so disorienting if you're not like prepared for the creative part of it, that it's just going to be right. different and unique. And if you can find ways to find that exciting, I think it's really beneficial. If you find that right. to be like out of control or like you have to look at some part sure. of yourself. That so you're it terrifies wrong. most yeah. people. Yeah. It, it's yeah. That's, what, that's what they, they, they you know, they hear. It's just like, Oh, I just, I can't imagine. I couldn't imagine being that out of control if I did right. acid. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, well, what? You already have some conception of what <laughs> right, it's right. about. You're already you know, and you haven't done it. You know, <laughs> and that's kind of the person that I'm talking to. Yeah, with, mm-hmm. with this as well. Yeah, yeah. Something um, if you're not you mentioned that it's like the uh, it's creatives are often. Uh, okay with the experience of psychedelics, whereas maybe the mass of regular society is uncomfortable with those states and might prefer sure. something like meth or coke or heroin or fentanyl or what I mean, when, you know, whatever, or just yeah, yeah. alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. But there are certain people that, uh, you know, that that doesn't scare them when they hear the certain stories. And I've wondered how much of that might be in our bloodline sure. history that relatives of ours in our bloodline at different times experimented mm-hmm. with these types of substances and obviously scientifically we could trace that way 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 back into yeah. our biological history how yeah. much of that is in our actual body right now i don't know how much yeah. we have access to it yes. but it does seem funny that certain of us are like Oh, you have the, the, that kind of a substance that'll make everything look crazy and sound different. And wow, out. yeah, okay, I'm gonna try that. You know, versus the one that makes you like, you know, I feel like I'm ten times as strong and ten times as fast, and I'm right, cool right. and <laughs> I'm ready to party, man. You know, yeah, yeah that's those a different like, vibe. Yeah, those like amphetamines and stuff, and it even comes up with the MDMA work. Um, which working with people with PTSD, it seems to be more like it's it's sharpening your sense of self. Like when you're doing trauma work with PTSD and MDMA, it's great that it is in the amphetamine tree of mm-hmm. molecules because mm-hmm. it sharpens people's executive functions. They're thinking exactly what happened to their sense of self, an incident that occurred to their sense of self that's outside of their usual experience of their sense of self, a traumatic event that occurred. And they're at their sharpest, like, they're at that amphetamine kind of, like, clarity of thought mm, and, mm-hmm, like, processing mm-hmm. and confidence and calmness. Fascinating. Um, I would have never thought but of that. But with psilocybin or LSD, it is the going the opposite direction. It's like, 
you're you're not gonna remember your traumatic experience. It may come up as a flavor in like a field of emotional experience, experience yeah. but like you won't remember the self enough to even talk. You know, be you know. I'm fascinated by people that can report back. Like yeah. the artist Alex Gray, sure. when I first saw his work, and or, it was like, yeah. motherfucker, Terrence I've McKenna. seen this grid before. Yeah, yeah. I Interest saw that. this last week at a rave. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. then you see his book, and you're like, how in the fuck? Like, I thought hallucinogens would have been unique to my person That's and my biology, me, yeah, but yeah. there's something universal in, 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 like even DMT there's a similarity in the mm-hmm. types of visuals well I think that's it's fascinating you mentioned kind of like our ancestral bodies or like how it's carried in our DNA and I think that's something really interesting and there's a lot of like cultural movement around like who owns that and who has a right to like you know because right. there are different cultures in the world and in America that like do have more practices that are still living that aren't like in the past or a lot of like yeah. You know, I'll speak as a white person. Like I don't think my ancestors have much of a rite of passage or ritual of anything, right? right I mean, but yet then there's this collective experience that like I think for me, sometimes like I, I need that. I don't I didn't grow up with religion. I don't have a very strong like family lineage. I'm my you know, and so like it's an opportunity to like you see a thing that other people have seen too. You can see the you know, the Yeah. It creates a community yeah. in it just in and of itself. Once you've experienced it. Yeah. It's like you can always point out, like if you're at a party and you're talking about LSD stories and then there's that one kid that wants to be included and he starts talking about his story and everybody that's done it is calling bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're just like, wait a minute. Yeah. What? You've never done LSD, bro. (laughs) But but that's the thing. You can recognize it in those that have, you know. Absolutely. It's like a collective part of human consciousness. And and some of us don't have a lot of that. And so I think there's a real draw now in modern America for people to want to be included in something that they... Especially if it has spiritual especially elements yeah. to it that aren't yeah. indoctrinated or, or dogmatic. Or right, right. I knew so Talked many people that um, weren't going to work in that first few months of the COVID lockdown, had no <clears throat> drug tests coming for a long time, and they experimented with psychedelics for the first time, often yeah. with mushrooms. Yeah. It's really easy um, down in San Diego to find those mm-hmm. prepackaged chocolates. Um, the chocolates and the little, um, like a, it's like an herbal, just like a gel cap. Like oh, a, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Just ground up. Mm-hmm. Just ground um, up, yeah, psilocybin. Like yeah, powder. a capsule. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. also, um, I ate some penis envy shrooms recently that were uh-huh. raw, that were really great. Yeah. Totally. You there know, I think kids need to know kind of how COVID. things... You know what you're looking for as well, because each uh, thing. Something maybe uh, to clarify early on in the conversation too is like, um, what substances are you able to administer um, to people under therapeutic uses here at the center? The the primary one we're using in our like clinic where anyone can come who um, thinks it may be helpful for their condition is ketamine. It's the only. Huh like psychedelic that is currently in the sort of medical toolkit and then in the context of research we're working with mdma and soon psilocybin too okay ketamine yeah ketamine let's talk about ketamine ketamine. like i as a like you know 
raver, yeah, festival goer, yeah, artist. Like, there's a lot of spaces where I've seen the use of ketamine, and I've always been like, that seems weird and creepy. It looks weird. I've, I've had bad experiences with it personally it. too. I've yeah. never done it, but I have friends that did used it. Often. But I gotta say, as a medicine, when prescribed well and administered well with therapy, it is almost like a miracle. It can. Yeah. It can. Yeah. Is, it, we see it every day. It's also been documented so in the clinical literature. It can turn off suicidality in people. Really? Yeah. Overnight, people can be relieved of their depression. It doesn't last wow. forever. It's not like forever you're healed all, for all of eternity, but it really does something inside of people's I think brains. That's young people unique. need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. in particular... Yeah. Yeah. Academine can really, really help you mm-hmm. yeah. in those dire, dire yeah. right. moments. It's, it's fascinating. Very, very I had strange. I really had no idea. Yeah. yeah. It's really strange to me that it even has much of a life as a recreational thing. Yeah. Like we used to see people like in piles on the floors at raves and stuff. Those are usually ketamine. You know, what, what would what would do that? Much. You know, because normally in a rave, the kids are running yeah. around dancing like crazy right. on a nice mix of kids. you know ecstasy, which yeah. I think a lot of young people don't understand. Was I, by my definition and yeah. the one that I was used to was that's MDMA mixed with speed. You, you know, yeah, some sort of some upper cocktail made by the uh, sure, but the it wasn't just MDMA. I think right. we all knew that because yeah. we were dancing for six, seven hours straight. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But we would always yeah. say if you had Molly, that was pure MDMA. Yeah, you know? but these days I don't know what kids are meaning by Molly. If they actually have a hundred percent MDMA, so I think research, they think they do. Yeah. There's so many research chemicals now, and actually, right. um, do you know Dave's what do you mean by research so, chemicals? So amateur chemists, or maybe oh. even, maybe even professional chemists, yeah, okay. professional job, chemists are making uh, analogs of drugs, different yeah. sort of like adjacent, and then they, so they're basically like designing. And sometimes they design it for like a very unique experience. And if you go down that rabbit hole, you can get any number of letter number combinations and a whole group of people that will tell you this one lasts this long. It's like the, it's like the empathogenic part of MDMA, but not the speedy part. And it lasts four hours. There's a whole thing. And then there's another thing where people are usually making it, selling it on the dark web or somewhere like that. That's just like a cheaper way to sell MDMA. And so... DanceSafe has like drug test kits, dancesafe.org. You can get a mm-hmm. kit and you can test, just take a little portion of your drug and, and sort of boot sure. your own little chemist and it'll tell you what's in it or not. Yeah. Um, because I think that, you know, there's a total wide variance. Sometimes people have really great street drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And other times they have something that's totally not it. And yeah, and DanceSafe well, will even the like post results. Sure. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like DanceSafe will do like. At least they used to. I don't know if they still do. I haven't checked around in a while. But they used to post the results for, like, regions. So you could be like, oh, the pink dolphins in San Francisco right now are good or bad or, like, testing positive for this and testing for this different thing. But, yeah, uh, yeah, the press pills were always, like, some cocktail thing. And then pure MDMA or MDMA Molly, when I heard Molly coming around it seemed to be the like powder in the capsule yeah and that's where this this risk that brooke was talking about does come up because anything that's powdered that's in a capsule now like can be sold as and people think they're right. getting molly and it's there are a lot of are there just off good places off. to get 
MDMA? No. Not that I'm aware no. of. Since, since it's still illegal. Yeah. Yeah, it's still um, You know, like, we game. use MDMA that is made above, right. like, in a lab where it's able to be tested for quality and quantity, and then mm-hmm. it's, and it's delivered. Cole has a Schedule 1 drug license as a yeah. research Do you have a what? Schedule 1 drug license. Schedule <laughs> 1 drug license. Yes. I had no idea there so was I such can, a thing. Yeah, it's a special so research you can just protocol. It's a research associated thing. Schedule 1... Drugs. I well, wish it were that just, easy. Yeah, like, couldn't get you some. Like it's tracked heavily. Yeah. So yeah. I can. I'm allowed to have it. So if the DEA shows up here, which they could at any moment, yeah. uh, if the DEA decides to come and make sure that I have all the MDMA they expect me to have, I have right. to show them. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's a there's a, like a research pharmacy that manufactures the MDMA, and then once a research pharmacy creates it, the chain of custody starts. Like the DEA then knows exactly how much was in the batch that was created on that day. Right. It's like very tediously tracked. But uh, but I am legally allowed to have the MDMA here okay. that the DEA expects okay. me to have. Right. <laughs> and okay. that's the only MDMA that's regulated. Right. Yeah. So there isn't any, like, I like to make the analogy that, like, because things are still unregulated and illegal most of the time, you, like, there's, like, Advil, right? You pick it up at the store, it's always 200 milligrams. Like, you know you're taking 200 milligrams of Advil because it comes through an industrial process that's regulated, right? Yeah. All of the other, all the street drugs, and all, and even natural, like psilocybin, right? So you grind it up, you put it in a capsule, but you still don't really know how much of the active ingredients are in there because it's like a tomato. It's not like an Advil. It's like... You could have two tomatoes, and if you try to find out how much vitamin C is in them, you're not. It's not always 200 milligrams or whatever. Right, it's, right, it right. varies based on lots of factors, and so pretty much all of all drugs, um, including the natural ones, are unregulated at this point, other than ketamine, and then the clinical trials that are running on LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, DMT. Yeah. Those are all. Because we're testing to see dosage, we're testing to see right. certain protocols, those are all made above ground. And that's what why, you know, like people want decriminalization, partly because we get a regulated thing, more like an right. Advil than a tomato, which right. is healthy for people to know. You could take a 10 strip of acid, right? You don't really know how much is in that. You yeah. could, one could be like way more than the next one. Same with mushrooms. You and your friends could have five mushrooms each, and you could all have a totally different experience because they're not regulated. And yeah. so it's almost like and one place where regulation is. could be really helpful for us as people that want to use these substances just to get a little yeah. bit more safety and like consistency. I, I see that happening. Yeah, it is. In the cannabis industry, the mushroom industry, uh-huh. for sure. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's those regular doses that customers can get in these different forms. Right. You know, because kids give me, uh, they'll pass me mushroom chocolates and gummies Uh and stuff all the time. And on the package, it always says, you know, here's a little guide, how much is in approximately each quarter of the product, you know, and how, how you should feel. And, you know, it's amazing to me, even with the cannabis, you know, down to the percentage of THC. Right. Um, it's very, very, that's just it. We're not quite there yet with mushrooms, but I think we're getting there. And I I do think psilocybin will go the way of cannabis. It's the next one that we're going to be able to just recreationally use. Right. Right. 
So Which we, that's a whole other thing, yeah, than what we're doing with the medical thing, but I think yeah. both are valid. Right. We go back to ketamine a little bit. Sure. Um, like, should people experiment with ketamine recreationally, or should they only come to a place like your center where they can do it under guidance? Well, you I know? think people are going to Because people recreationally drugs. eat mushrooms, <laughs> and you're you know, yeah, dealing yeah, yeah. with mushrooms in a uh, therapy set, you know, right. a setting as well. That's why I ask. Yeah, the main thing, the main time I think people should come to a clinic is if they have mental health problems. Like, right. Like if they're taking other medications that could, you know, ketamine is, you know, not as prone to interaction problems as something like psilocybin or oh, LSD. But right. if somebody's taking medications... Which is important considering has, a lot of people are on medication already if exactly, they're dealing yeah. with mental health issues. Right. Totally. So you'd have to be really aware of the how those would combine with a psychedelic. Exactly. Also, like, what is a mental health issue, right? It's like hmm. a problem of the mind. And so, like, what are, what are psychedelics? They're mind-expanding, mind-attuned drugs. And so... People who are going through a very difficult time, like a crisis or a trauma, psychedelics shine a light around your mind. That's what they're doing. And so that when there's more things in there that are overwhelming, scary, dangerous to deal with, you're accentuating that, right? Versus like Joe Schmo, who's pretty relatively healthy, hasn't really had a hard life, wants to try ketamine, will have a potentially much easier experience than someone whose mind is really like volatile and sometimes yeah. dangerous yeah. so those people right. like Cole's saying often need mental health support and luckily yeah. there are more and more people around the nation and the world actually getting trained to know like I know how to work with people who have trauma I know how to work with people who are grieving I know how to pe- work with people who are suicidal and I know about psychedelics and I know how they can help and not help right versus like that same person going out with Joe Schmo and they both do a rail of ketamine at the rave and the, the one that's really dealing with something could be putting themselves in greater danger just because there's a lot more... Remember us talking about oh, that yeah. when we were doing LSD recreationally, that setting was super important. Totally. And if you were feeling weird about something or depressed about a thing, maybe sit out this trip with our friends, you yeah, know? Right. And we had to... We would really try to protect our friends from... Yeah. from that so, you know I love that you totally. said that because a lot of what we're talking about like comes from either indigenous cultures and shamanic use it also comes from recreational so it's like yeah doctors didn't make up set and setting like, right that set we're researching whether that's actually really. scientifically sure. valid, valid sure but these are things that we all knew and most people know sure. if yeah. you have a community that cares about each other even yeah. even which one, the pink elephants yeah. Oh, the pink elephants are good, but don't go with those blue demons. Right. Those, I think, are actually heroin. Like, we would get word out, even at yeah, rave. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, what do you got there? Ooh, Tony just said, those are bad news, bro. Yeah, who, yeah. who sold you that? Yeah. And you'd point them out and be like, yo, don't. Yeah. You know? And, yeah, it was just... Because, again, there was no... Nobody really regulating. Nobody. It was just wild. Yeah. And there totally. were people yeah, trying to take advantage... That. You know, like in Albuquerque, you know, me and my friend group 
were tight with the biggest dealer of MDMA and LSD in New Mexico. And so he always gave us his best stuff in its purest form. Yeah. You know, and then, but he would sell big quantities to like the gangster homies and then they would cut it with who knew what and call it the same thing. Yeah. So our, you know, friend group were people wanted to know us and be around and be like, Hey, what do you guys have this week? Sure. You know? And we're like, Oh, we only have a few of these. I'm like, will you please share them? Cause <laughs> yeah. I don't know about sketchy homie over here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know what yeah. he's selling, yeah. man. Well, you know? like, a lot of people are getting their drugs now from the internet, right? So they don't even yeah. know who mm. sketchy dude is. They're just like getting them where they can. Cause you know, yeah. everything is so different, different now. Yeah. Totally. There we, you lose the reputation when it was that underground right where there's kind of a middle ground dealers like uh, reputations were really important back Mm -hmm. then for sure really really important yeah 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 you know certain people had the really good stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know so what um what what would someone expect to feel or experience on ketamine ooh that's hard to explain just like with any Mm. other psychedelic but um, so like relaxing. You know what it's like if people have ever had nitrous before, oh, if they're at a nitrous. dental office or yeah. just messing around with nitrous. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the closest cousin to the ketamine experience is the nitrous really? experience. Mm-hmm. It's psychedelic. It can be profoundly psychedelic um, if taken at psychedelic doses. Um, so in that thing I was talking about with like the amphetamine experience versus the like tryptamine experience, yeah, like psilocybin and LSD uh-huh. and stuff. It's closer to that. It's more dissolving the ego. Like, you don't want to be trying to piece together a puzzle while. Does it feel like a a, a spiritual thing? It can be really. I mean, just from what you're trying to explain. I mean, I could maybe you know might feel that way to me as if it was a new experience. Like, am I? What am I touching on here? Yeah. It is more in that like family tree of like of like. It can be on ego. Yeah, ego disillusion. Which I kind of, I've always wondered, even from a, a Christian Trinity thing, is the spirit uh, that observer right. that's beyond the ego? Yes. You know, is that their way of articulating what that is? That you can know, be. Maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people people can get to that place where they're, they become the observer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Well, I'm thinking sure. about one of our ketamine clients years ago. She was like a middle-aged mother, pretty average lady yeah. and she did a whole series ketamine therapy usually goes in a series you can't just do one off and what's the series um you want to talk about yeah that? we do like twice a week for four weeks is the way that we oh that's wonderful it. yeah because so like, like anything you're trying to do that would be a good way to get it you know right worked out yeah and with <laughs> with the ketamine specifically like the effects on depression and suicidality when people do a single experience, about half of people see a significant improvement like the day afterward, but it's fairly short-lived, and it seems like doing, well, it's pretty well demonstrated that if you do a series of them close together, you get like a longer launch pad, so people will go weeks and weeks, you know, um, without needing any further treatments after they do a series, and what we do here is then like people can come in if their symptoms start to come back, and they don't need to redo a series or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. So, but yeah. uh, so this woman was very practical about it. She had a lifelong depression. She came to do, she wasn't like really a drug user, but she wanted to get rid of her depression. And she came, she did the series. Her, she was very practical about the whole thing. And then 
as it was sort of ending, she was saying, like, gosh, this has really been, we are kind of reviewing, like, how it had been. And she said, um, well, I think I must have asked, like, what, is the, what are the things that you're most noticing have changed? And she said, well, I used to not believe in God, but now, of course, I do. And I remember just being floored. She never talked about anything yeah, spiritual. that happens a lot. Nothing. And then she just <laughs> dropped that bomb, like, on yeah. the way out the door the last time we ever saw her. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a huge thing that happened. And it's not like, God, you know, I don't personally believe in right, God. Right, we're not, that, like, pushing that, that on people. But again, somebody's connecting with something. Something, something yeah. bigger than themselves. And I think that's a healthy, a healthier way to be in the world is to know you're not isolated that's a fascinating yeah. part too of like the recent uh history i'm seeing that there were obviously psychedelic compounds at all these ancient sites mm-hmm. they had a vast knowledge totally. of all these different things like at pompeii yeah. they had varieties of different shrooms and things mm-hmm. and you know even the in the LSD christian um in those bottoms of those urns in the christian yeah, yeah. Uh, there's like uh all, yeah, all sorts of different psychedelic substances. Yeah. So that might be something that got lost. You know, I read a book right, where they made right. the connection to the Christian Eucharist, which I got as a Roman Catholic kid, but yeah. that might have actually been a psychedelic substance at some point. Right. You know, which makes perfect sense yeah. to me. And again, if now our world is coming back to this thing where we're starting to have respect and using those things properly, that it does unlock this thing that's in us in our biological history right. as this spiritual experience, yeah. you know, and I think that's awakening. Like where we get to use our privilege. Like, we are really lucky. We've, we're highly yeah. educated. We own our own business. Mm-hmm. People respect us. We have licenses to practice medicine and psychology. And that that is an opportunity to sort of bring that back into our culture because there are a lot of, like I said, indigenous cultures that have been doing that the whole time. And right. unfortunately, we right. here in America, especially live in a world where that's just, they're just like, oh, weird pe- like, people doing weird things we can't control and understand. So we're going to yeah. diminish the value. Yeah. Right. So there, I think it's nice in a way, like recognizing that psychedelic medicine is really one little piece of the whole psychedelic pie and the many, many ways that humans use these substances throughout all of history. Right. But that it's kind of sweet to be able to like sort of use that privilege to be like, this is validated and we get people like the woman I just right. mentioned that would not do psychedelics otherwise. But then right. she goes back to her community of wealthy middle-aged mothers and says like, I did this thing and it changed my life. And it starts to like use our privilege to validate what humans have known throughout all of time. Right. And reconnecting. Yeah. yeah. And all through history, they've like, you know, all the cultures that work with, especially the tryptamines, psilocybin, uh, the DMT containing plants, like, they revere them. You know, they're, they're sacred things in almost all, you know, instances that they pop up in cultures that, you know, are separated by time and space. Right. You know, there's, there's no sort of like common mm-hmm. sort of single psychedelic culture that spawned all that. Like, every culture through history that has discovered these things, and it seems like ours is, you know, Western medical culture is just now catching up. Yeah. (laughs) But even in Western culture, you know, like the Greeks, like you were saying, like the Greeks, Mm -hmm. even before Christianity, um, had the Eleusinian Mysteries, and they would drink the Kaikion was the name of the drink, and it's supposed to supposedly, yeah, evidence that there's ergot in there, which is you know, an LSD-like molecule comes from these, like, rotten rotten rye. Um, Which was maybe like a theory about the Salem witch trials. 
Yes, the I think that's not actually true, but that is a theory. Oh, is that yeah. like a, an I urban myth? Theory. Like, in my mind, I wish that was true. No, I think it was actually, like, explored as a possibility. But yeah, I maybe not. Oh, but, like, early yeah. hours. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was such a good story. But, uh, <laughs> that's a good story. But, I mean, yeah. who doesn't love the idea of a whole village getting, like, Fucking tripping balls and thinking there's demons. Killing each other. Just, like, taking it way too far. Well, she'll float if she's... That community got to the point, and this is kind of like how innate psychedelic experiences can get, is they started to be like, you didn't even need any evidence in the Salem Witch Trials. You just needed to like say that the ghost told you that your neighbor killed his wife or something, and then they would prosecute the man. Yeah, right. It was just a total trip. Oh, Back to ketamine a little bit. Yeah. Why would, uh, what would somebody be going through that a ketamine theory, therapy might be really helpful for them? Um, prime, the, the most evidence is for depression and treatment resistant You just depression. got really severe so depression people, maybe other, like pharmaceutical methods haven't worked exactly, so much. Exactly. Yeah, like people, yeah. most are, I would say, uh, more than half of our patients have that exact situation where they've, they're depressed, they've been depressed probably a long time and they've tried a lot of things already and they either work for a little while and stop working or they, they work, but they're still pretty depressed or, uh, they've tried a lot of things and nothing has worked at mm-hmm. all. That's probably more than half of our patients. And then the other, you know, third to half of the patients are a myriad of things, but like we'd see a lot of complex PTSD, a lot of people with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Ketamine seems to be helpful for people with PTSD also, and some anxiety uh, yeah. conditions. I feel like I remember Brooke talking to me about in the early trials taking on the hardest, most difficult cases of soldiers with PTSD and mm-hmm. issues to really prove that your methods worked. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, I know a lot of soldiers. Actually, I know a bunch now because I'm in San Diego and there's so much yeah, big armed forces down there. Yeah, that's the thing. They'll come to Art Night and I go to the yeah. shooting range and I hear crazy stories. Yeah. And it's kind of, they just kind of brush it off. But I can tell it's like traumatic totally. and they love a bit of help. I, I have a few yeah. friends that have asked me, you know, where to get help and, I, yeah. you know, kind of maybe this will yeah be a, a guidance hopefully so yeah um but well, you know what uh why why does ketamine help so much in those kind of situations where people have seen say yeah. horrific murder right in front of their face or yeah had to like i had a buddy that had to kill a kid hmm. after killing her dad yeah and the little girl stabbed his buddy in the side. Yeah. Almost killed him. Yeah. And just terrible, terrible, terrible shit. Right. Horrific Her- trauma. You know? Yeah. But they're, you know, having to go about their day-to-day right. life. You know? But they're, at times, really uh, uh, struggle with incapacitating depression totally. and paranoia and all those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. And, but you're saying ketamine can really ketamine get can in there really and help. really help. I think... Um, ketamine seems and help to how? Like, explain that too. Yeah, like, yeah. From an experiential standpoint, like from the patient's perspective, what I hear a lot is like the intensity of all of those symptoms is greatly relieved. Like 
somebody who maybe like spins negative thoughts through their head all day, which is normal. Like the rumination right? softens yeah, and intensity to totally, mm-hmm. absolutely normal. But also kind of at base normal. That you're going to be thinking and that recurring things that your mind hasn't uh, had resolution with, it's going to keep coming up. And in the case of severity, it's like this loud kind of, you know, what I would think of as a loud voice in my head, like yelling these things over and over and over. And you're just like, you can't even drive. It's just so loud and mean and... Yeah, yeah. I know how that from the meditation retreats, how the mind, my my thinking mind can go from murder to sex to food to cycling. And in the in the meditation space, I'm able to just watch it go by like a movie and not not identify with any of it. And I feel like with people who are really afflicted, they can't get that back up right. to see that it's just this movie that's playing mm-hmm. yeah. but you think right. you're, you you're think in you're it. it and that's the thing where the meditation allowed me to kind of step out but I will say right. that the, my early experiences with psychedelics did a similar thing totally it took me to a very similar place yeah but I was kind of not in as much control of the experiences when I would meditate to get to there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and there's a common kind of like scientific concept, um, that links heavy meditators and psychedelics that they've observed in like neural imaging things. It's called, thing called the default mode network. I'm sure you're familiar. Have you heard of it? I love those kind of, yeah. all those studies where they're matching up meditators with psychedelic. Totally. And, and what it is, is like, interestingly, like, that default mode network is what's running when we're thinking all of these thoughts and mostly when we're thinking about all of these thoughts and ourselves. So it's like, it almost, you know, it's not precise, but it's like, that's kind of where the idea of ourself as something that exists and this world is happening to it lives in that little circuit of the default mode network and heavy meditation practice is training yourself to stop engaging with that circuit. So it starts to like, I I use the analogy of like building muscles. It's like, if you run that circuit all day, it's like you're doing curls all day. Like your biceps are going to get big, (laughs) but if you stop running that circuit, they'll atrophy and it'll get easier and easier and easier. And so meditation is practicing, essentially practicing, Getting off of that circuit, getting off of that circuit. Every time you re- realize you're back on the circuit, get back off of it. Uh, whereas psychedelics seem to just shut that thing down. <laughs> psychedelics yeah. are a little more heavy-handed. So I totally yes. respect That's like, the heavy meditators who are like... A more heavy-handed like, way to get there. Yeah. And, yeah, and the heavy meditators have been saying that, you know, as long as I've been paying attention to these things, you know, Alex Gray, you know, like, talks about, uh, you know, that... So, you know, there are ways to get there without the psychedelics, um, but it takes a lot more discipline, a lot more practice. And Alex Gray also likes to joke that, like, it's still a lot trippier on psychedelics. <laughs> but, yeah, you're doing that similar thing. I think that is the common thread. I think you can get there with heavy and, meditation. And so in the case of, like, ketamine, yeah. someone who's coming in with that loud voice, you administer the ketamine, they pretty much softer. immediately re- recognize a calmness. Uh-huh. A bit of or a, dis- difference. a, a difference. difference. 
Yeah. It's not a so right. It's just, you can, it's just different. So like yeah. Roland Griffiths is like, but a good different. OMGs, let's say a helpful like different. Yeah. yeah. He says. Yeah. He says that if you like his definition of like what is the psychedelic experience, it, he'll say it changes your cognition, it changes your perspective, and it changes your emotionality. And I really like that definition because it's not always calmer. Sometimes it's more chaotic, but it's just different. You just get a change in those three areas, and those are the three places that people get stuck, especially people that are struggling with mental health issues. It's like changing your perspective on your value as a person when you're severely right. depressed is really hard. Changing right. your um, emotionality when you're living in a world post-trauma where around every corner you might have to murder a child, you know, is right. not easy. It's like it's these are life-saving things we do when we're dealing with trauma or depression. So then there's these substances that just offer this open-ended change in cognition, change in emotionality, and change in perspective temporarily, like a good meditation retreat. Mm -hmm. You come back, you're still the same person, but you've looked at things, you've felt things, and you've thought of things differently. And I think that that's a really like succinct way to think about, how, like the best way that I've heard it quantified, because the content is like bizarre, unexplainable, super variant. But those three things are pretty universal in a good yeah. in any psychedelic. But carnivore is still a psychedelic experience when you're administering the ketamine. Yeah. It's, it's going to, you know, I mean, are you going to see visuals? Yeah, yeah. I, what I what? say it's by so that wild. to kids that don't know, it's like right. forms of hallucination of sorts. Yeah. Sometimes, like in my experience, I remember sometimes it would alter the things that I was seeing. Sometimes it would add things that weren't there. Uh -huh. Like there was a grid of hallucination in front of the, like a screen in front of the real uh, uh -huh. life behind it Colors, you know um yeah like the sensations and... of being able to see things breathing and throbbing and yeah. i've actually uh last week i was looking at youtube videos of psychedelic simulations and they've gotten really good yeah yeah, the yeah i think yeah. The young, if young people are curious about that a little bit those simulations are i mean from all three of us i think that have done you know, good amount yeah. of psychedelics and understand what's possible, those can be pretty close. Yeah, there's a subreddit, yeah. I don't know if you use Reddit, but there's mm. a subreddit called Replications, and it's just people trying to use gra computer graphics to replicate a psychedelic. What's experience. it called again? Replications. Wonderful. And they're great. Some of them yeah. are great. Yeah. I think with ketamine, there's a little bit different, like, there's another there thing happening there. There isn't the pulsating, too. So yeah. this works on different. Uh, neuro neurological system in your brain, uh -huh. and so, but I've never heard of people saying like the pulsating right. or that like the vibrating where you can None see of that. the light. Which I feel like from psilocybin and yeah, LSD, I would like the, see that the often. Traditional psychedelics, but I think ketamine is more like an inter It's almost like a dream, like a trippy dream that you're living briefly. Oh, that's a neat way to put it. Like it, it dissociates you from your sense of self, which is another layer. Is it like comfortable observing. though? Because again, that can be really uncomfortable, uh -huh. right? When you know the first time, and you're like, Most "Whoa!" Most people are comfortable in the right huh. because we we pay a lot of attention to trying to make it comfortable going in. Yeah. You know, like that. Word. Yeah. Do you have like a prep system before you administer? You're not just yeah. like bringing people into the room. Right, here's right. your here's your drugs. <laughs> Let's talk. Right. No. No, yeah, we we uh, we do a full intake with with everybody and make sure that it seems like it's going to be helpful for them and that they can do it safely. Um, and then it'll be a room just like this one. Um, the couch will be made more like a bed. Um, 
myself and the therapist will be in the room. And But uh, as far as preparation, A, like creating this container, all the rooms are very similar to this. Like it's meant to not feel like a sterile, spooky, like surgical room, which some things can be like that. Um, It's meant to feel like you're at like you know, your grandma's house or something. Yeah. Or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, a comfortable you're at, living room. Yeah. It's meant to feel yeah. like a home. Sure. And then, uh, so that's like sort of part one of sort of making people feel safe. We like, we have medical equipment, but we don't have it like out. Like, yeah. Right. Um, and then we have, uh, and then in, in this, you know, preparing somebody for the experience, we talk a lot about, um, coach you know talking about letting go surrendering trusting being open uh sometimes i like lately to say like think of it as like you're just collecting the experiences there's nothing for you to do except just kind of observe Uh. and take it in and we'll talk about it after you know we'll talk about after and also like making people not feel like their job is to be remembering it all either that like it's okay if they don't you know like it's not their job to report it accurately back to us or anything. Yeah. We're not like reporters of their experience. We're just there oh, okay. to like, you know, support in any way. And, and really like one of the more important things I think is just treating that experience with respect, you know, yeah. like not, not being, not disregarding that experience as like, Oh, that, you know, you were just on the drug. Like, don't worry about that thing. If you were scared or you thought about something profound or you had a religious experience, like, let's talk about that. You know, like that, just treating that with respect goes along. I think there's like a real gift in giving permission, especially like as a doctor, right? Because people Mm -hmm. do come and they're like, please help me. I I need to be doctored. I need a a medicine to, to sometimes to keep me alive. And then giving them permission to like not have to figure it out, not have to make sense of it, that this thing can just happen and there's nothing to do with it. It's just an experience that you're having that could or could not be helpful. And, and I think that that in itself is very soothing to people yeah. to know like, oh, I don't have to work so hard here. I can just let something unfold within and around me and, and not have to know all about it or be yeah. in charge of it is a big relief. I, think, to I absolutely feel that. I feel like I'm giving the same advice before like a seven day silent retreat because mm-hmm. you, you know, sure. you're not allowed to take notes. Right. You're not, you know, yeah. nothing, no distraction. So the, for me, the power in that experience is the few weeks after as things are sure, on sure, sure, sure. and you start to have, you realize that you have this new perspective on things. Right. And right. it can and be, uh, those things atrophy. Yeah. All those like, Daily yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing. Like, you just trust in the process, kind of waste away. and you and and there's this wonderful submission to that too. Like, yeah. there's no responsibilities. All I have to do is do this right now. Yeah, and I'm safe. Yeah, yeah. That and that I think that aside from the effect of the ketamine specifically, that like making the space for yourself and giving yourself permission to just do this like yeah. goes so long goes a long way like we yeah. hear that from a lot of people like you know that it, it's most useful uh, to do it twice a week for a few weeks yeah but also setting aside a couple hours twice a week is sometimes for some people the first time they've done that in years yes 
yeah, like, yeah, yeah. made space for themselves sure. in that way. And that just goes a long way. I too. think people need to acknowledge too that like we would hear at retreats, 90% of the work has already been done because you're here. Mm-hmm. Right. You made a whole week available to sit in silence yeah. when all the people around you were like, what a waste of time. What are you doing? Yeah. Really? Aren't you going to go crazy up there? Yeah, a little bit. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to kind of be saner than you. Right. Oddly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? For sure. But it's a... Yeah. So I think that's the thing, too. It's like, just get to the clinic. Get to the guilt. Get to the help. And and then the process has already begun on a certain level. Yeah, yeah, long before they get the door. There's momentum there. There's like this undercurrent, too, that I think we don't really articulate very much... That, but it's kind of more like a comes maybe from like the collective experience. Like when you go to retreat, there's like a group of people doing it with you, and that like we don't call this place a clinic, we call it a center. And yeah. for me, that's a really important distinction. Cool. We have the yard, we have a recovery yeah. room, which we're, we're creating right. a community of healing together. And yeah. it's not there's not very many places in medicine at all, definitely not in psychiatry, where you're like. You go in and like we follow all the rules about private health information protection and everything, but that like the felt sense of being in our center is that this is a place of healing and people can be in the yard and recover. We encourage people to stick around, journal, listen to music, rest, whatever they need to until they are ready to go after their treatment. And I feel like that's a little bit more about like the the collective sort of creating space as a group for something like this to happen and we hear a lot when people walk in they're like whoa the energy in this place is like great and i think it's because it's a cold i feel the same here yeah yeah that is cool yeah yeah that feeling of safety is like cute and especially when you're working with trauma like i think with trauma that is I, i think sometimes of like um like what's the sort of um what's the like kernel of like what's the essence of the condition and with trauma it's like unsafe feeling unsafe like everything's unsafe a horribly unsafe thing happened and so your brain is now health in a healthy way trying to protect you from that ever happening by suspecting everything being to be dangerous you know dangerous dangers around every corner danger you know like and um yeah, I think just having a safe container, a safe place is like a, something that goes a long way yeah. in itself too, whether we're working with ketamine or working with, pe- with same, MDMA. Same thing for depression too, because yeah. it's like the kernel. Depression is like devaluation and isolation, right? Yeah. And so even though Shame, it's not the guilt. on-guard mistrust all the time, it's just the like, I don't matter and it's not worth putting any energy into connection and life. Yeah. myself you know and so it's like a different angle but that's this the, the sort of like the collective healing space solves that problem hmm. yeah. too are you able to help people that may have had trauma um bef- when they were so young that they can't really remember but they have this sense and if you just speak with him you can see as a therapist say that uh something must have happen because you see the world this way and that you're reacting to things in in this way which is pretty classic that something might have happened but Uh you know i mean that's the thing uh that 
are you able to get some results, say, with the ketamine in that situation? You know, because it's like they wouldn't really be able to explain right. exactly what the thing was. Totally. Whereas a soldier is like, oh yeah, this, 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 and this happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I fucked me up. Right. You know, but I know a lot of people have these traumas that they just were too young to understand yeah. or remember or articulate. Right. Yeah. But they're still like dealing with concept terrible. of like pre-verbal trauma, mm-hmm. right? Like. Sure. Like before there was a language to even develop right. thinking processes right. around it. Right. It's just like, I feel like a that physiological a reaction to, you know, something dangerous. Sure. That, yeah. Kids yeah. are exposed to. Like with the MDMA work, definitely we have people who have very complex trauma, is what we call like people who have multiple or like were exposed to a like continuously unsafe environment, like a home where there was a lot of violence. MDMA might be a better. Thing versus ketamine or psilocybin say, in yeah, that case. If we had all of the medicines that are being researched right now available at the moment, then with PTSD, MDMA would be the direction I would go. With trauma, even if psilocybin were around, uh, and I'm a, I'm you know, psilocybin is like what drove me to want to do research with psychedelics. Like I have a great amount of respect for what psilocybin can do. Uh, but still, I would if someone came in and we had psilocybin in our toolkit, I would try ketamine first. Ketamine just it uh-huh. really is undervalued, I think. It's which quick acting. It, yeah, it works very fast. It it's very it's very safe um, huh. for people who have for maybe like bipolar depression. Oh. It doesn't seem to be a risk of uh, causing like a manic episode, and psilocybin okay. definitely can. Um, I would kind of think so, even it's when we were young and trying to protect our friends from, you know, people that were kind of up and down emotionally. It's like, well, yeah. maybe don't give them the 10 strip. Give them just one. <laughs> let, let Billy try the 10 strip and we'll check in with him tomorrow. Right. Yeah, yeah. See how he's doing. Right. Which, by yeah. the way, anyone listening, it's always a good strategy to start low. You can always take more. Yes. You can't untake the 10 strip that you didn't. that's right Right. that's right that's right that's a cool that's like a really interesting distinction between ketamine and psilocybin or lsd too is like um at a let's say you've taken a particular dose if that was too much psilocybin too bad like it's like a bully it's like oh yeah you you took the amount that's going to give you this experience and you should not have made the plans you made for tonight because you right. took this amount of psilocybin <laughs> right. tonight. Right. Whereas ketamine, like it's not like you can resist it away, but at a particular dose, if I, in my experience, from what I've seen, if somebody feels totally safe and is like maybe a little more novelty seeking by nature, like somebody who like a little more fearless, like. They can have at the same dose a completely profound, deep experience. Um, and also, if they get nervous, can pull back. Like the, the range of experience that you can have at a dose that has been taken already can really range from like staying pretty grounded, reminding yourself it'll be over in a half hour, things are weird, but you're going to be okay. That all the way to like complete ego disillusion and like, you know, unifying oceanic boundlessness and yeah. all that stuff like can happen in the same experience at the same dose mm-hmm. for for somebody whereas like i said with lsd or psilocybin you know when we're think, talking about maybe using these as medicines those are the kinds of things i definitely think about is like 
we're not getting trippers coming in here who happen to have depression. Sometimes we do. <laughs> but mm. mostly we're getting people who are depressed who have, would otherwise have no interest in psychedelics. Right. So that's mostly what I'm seeing too. Which is experience. fantastic, like, frankly, for whoa. psychedelic yeah. Yeah. growth and culture. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, one thing I think maybe worth mentioning is that ketamine is an um, uh, anesthetic. Right, so you can use it for right. um, surgery. Obviously, well, I, we're not giving surgical doses. We back in the day, we always told, told each other it was a horse tranquilizer. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, yeah. It, you know. so it's a really safe drug. It's actually great. It doesn't um, it doesn't uh, affect your respiratory system. So for people that need that, like infants, I think they often give it for mm-hmm. infant surgery. Oh. So it's minimally risky. But I think there's something about sort of like you were talking about, um, like early childhood or preverbal trauma complex trauma usually that ends up when you become an adult it's like you can't have a healthy relationship like it's just it's relational and it's attachment based i think like ketamine as an anesthetic is a good entry point to treatment because it it's it calms you down even at the second it's like not so scary it has that that the other ones don't have that like they're often really speedy and scary at the beginning at the at the onset right where ketamine sort of like chills you into like this calmer just because i think the nature of the drug category yep outside of psychiatry where mdma um it's pro-social right so anyone who's done it knows that you're like in the bathroom and you're like you were so cute and like, just trade shirts or whatever you know like in a way and then later you look back and you're like what the what was i doing like that's not how i know myself to be when i'm not on that drug it's pro-social sort of created in the medical community this new category called empathogenic and so if you're thinking about people who have relational young trauma from like neglectful caregivers or constant abuse or just unpredictability in the world when they were too young to survive on their own, MDMA comes in really handy because it sort of takes you out of that default mode network so you can be a little different than you usually are. It layers on that pro-social. So you can kind of like look, and I think in any of these treatments, paired with a good therapist is key because that Mm -hmm. will help you be safe in relationship, which is often... Uh, deficiency with people that have chronic mental health issues. So, but with MDMA, you get someone who thinks, I don't feel safe in the world. I can't trust anybody to be predictable, to care for me. I'll always be abandoned. I'll always be left behind. I'll never be safe. How do people feel that way? Yeah, and then the drug with a good ethical therapist sitting with you allows you to have an actual experience for a full day of liking, feeling safe, wanting to be close to somebody. And I think that is, like, very hard to replicate. You can do it in regular therapy, but it can take years. Yeah. yeah. And the oh, drug right. just lets you sort of, like... And that's a big part of the, I think, advantage of what you offer is that it does... It has this extra power yeah. that, say, a traditional therapy would take longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe totally. to uproot. Or maybe never again, because yeah. you're just... You're not getting a... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's safety a thing. thing. You know, like with trauma, where like feeling safe extends to feeling safe in the relationship with the therapist, feeling safe talking about the experience, feeling safe even thinking about the experience again. Yeah, um, all that stuff. Like they may have previously, in a reasonable therapy environment, felt safe to talk about the traumatic experience and found like, oh, then they were just messed up for two weeks because they talked about that horrible thing again and now they're thinking about it all the time. Like, with the the MDMA seems to supercharge the therapy in that respect in a number of ways. One of them is 
feeling safe talking. Like, yeah. just, like, feeling good and feeling safe. And then feeling connected and safe with the therapist who, yeah. if they're a good therapist, is there to be a safe relationship. Sure. To have those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. with and keep things, yeah. you know, confidential, of course. And yeah. be open to hearing about horrible things. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it, it, it touches on that feeling of that the world is an unsafe dangerous place that has to be survived you're having like a profoundly positive experience that the world can also be a caring safe place where people care yeah huge mindset shift yeah total like like, spiritual to hear opposite you know back in the day like i would do mdma and go dancing all night and i enjoyed being having fun and being social and the music sounded great and everyone looked gorgeous and all that but, and I think people still do that. But I know once once people sort of start thinking about these drugs as, like, psychological agents for healing, I think that I know more and more people, whether it's couples or groups of friends, that have, a, like, a practice now of coming together. And it can become almost like, like one of one of our clients called it, like, counsel recently, like, calling mm. counsel and, mm. like, coming together. And it makes it so you can hear things about yourself too. So in a therapeutic context, like your doctor, your therapist can say something that if they said to you, otherwise you would reject or have a reaction to, but you might not. This is good and bad, right? Because if you have a good therapist, they might enlighten you. You might be able to sort of like look at some parts about yourself that for decades you've been wanting to. And I think that's the power of a therapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The flip side of it is that you're vulnerable, and if your therapist is not, they can trick. They can right. they can suggest something that's low. So we would never want to like say to somebody, "Well, it's clear to me that you have trauma that you don't know about. Someone must have hurt you when you were young." Like that's an idea that I don't. I'm making up a story about. Right. Right. Even if I look at somebody, and I've worked right. with a ton of. <laughs> trauma I do feel like I can see it but I would never I would never want to make yeah. somebody feel that way if they yeah. I don't or suggest I that that's life. the path yeah, to healing because exactly. sometimes yeah. yeah that's like that I think that's a misconception that's out there sometimes in depression or trauma is that the only way to healing is to like have this like deep dive into the muck of the like darkness of the world and it's like sure. sometimes the reason you're so depressed is because you dove down there thinking that was the answer. You got stuck in that muck. Sometimes oh, it's reconnecting to joy. Right. Sometimes yeah. it's not, you know, like... MDMA does, always can do that, too. Side. I remember that even just yeah. recreationally. If you had a friend that was having a tough time and you were like, Hey, man, take one of these pills with us. Come yeah. hang out with yeah. us. Right. Remember you know, how great it is to be alive. Like, you, know, you know, like it's Friday, you don't got your no job, and you ain't got shit the, to do. That's <laughs> the thing. It was great like that. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah totally. Right, right. So ketamine, MDMA, and then psilocybin are the, the, big the three ones, big yeah. ones that you administer here. So tell me more about psilocybin. So like what would somebody be, say, dealing with that the... Uh, uh, psilocybin use might be helpful right. for them so, in particular versus say the ketamine yeah. or the MDMA well the the project that we're hoping to get started pretty soon will be primarily working with depression um, which is where it's you know when it comes to like societal impact depression is the the big one you know that there are more people that have depression so there are a lot of people that could potentially That's like help. The, the main mental health That's issue in main, general. Yeah, in is general. It's just depression. How would you define health. depression? 
<laughs> I would def- so there's a de- there's like a criteria. I know there's that like a scientific breakdown. Like there's with the PTSD levels. Depression to me is like I heard somebody say this one time. They're like depression. Some people think depression is the opposite of happy. Sad's the opposite of happy. Being depressed is the opposite of being excited about being alive. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I oh, I hope people hear this. Hear this. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. The power of those simple metaphors. Yeah. Like but, ancient, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's it's a, a, good it's one. a much better, more profound summary because it's like depression all the way is down basically to like, the opposite of the excitement for life. Yes. Can I add a piece Interesting. Because I think yeah. it's an important yeah, course. Yeah. that lots yeah. of times people forget. You mentioned it earlier, actually. Mm. That there's so I sometimes am not excited about life, sure. but I'm not depressed. That it's a it's about right. when that experience overcomes your life and you cannot function the way that you want to. Or right, that's something we would before. recommend treating. So yeah. I really want to just accentuate <clears throat> that for anyone listening. Right. I think that is a very succinct way to describe how it feels to be depressed. Yeah. But that there's a there's a sort of a conditional element where like you could feel that way, but if it's if you're able to work. If you're able to have relationships, if you're able to take care of your body, if you're resourced and you can feed yourself and shower on a regular basis, you might just be having a lack of excitement about life. That there's right. sort of like this right. qualifier in mental health that like you have to be incapacitated in some way True. in order to sort of qualify as that or being treatment. like a condition that needs treating. Yeah. Um, so same thing like with the you know, like the hypervigilance we were talking about with trauma. Like some people are just jumpy, that's their temperament. Some people uh-huh. are like, um, you know, really energetic and they're and it looks like, but it's not trauma necessarily. Like that's true. sort of all of these ways that you have to be negatively impacted. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, that's a thing, that's a difficult part of, yeah, communicating mental health in general is because, you know, a lot of times, like Brooke was pointing out, like there are extreme versions of those things that everybody gets to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. like even... Uh, personality disorders and things like that it's like it's not like there's people who have a personality disorder and then there's people who don't it's like everybody is on a spectrum with all these aspects of personality everybody has moods everybody's moods go up and down it's just the ones where we recommend treating is when those moods are so far on one side or the other that now they're losing jobs they can't keep relationships yeah the functional impairment part is like when it becomes like you know, when people seek out our help, it's not even like when we would necessarily tell somebody, oh, you have, you know, clinical depression. People right. will come to us when it's like, they're like, I'm so, I'm so depressed that I'm not getting out of bed. I'm so depressed I'm not, you know, getting yeah. groceries, you know. Yeah, which I know a lot of people are feeling. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Especially, yeah. In pandemic well, so this period. is why that, so it's a little bit of like a... Yes, we do MDMA clinical trials for PTSD and yeah. psilocybin clinical trials for, for depression. Those are two major public health issues that cost a lot, the human cost and the financial cost to okay. our communities. And so there's sort of like this, um, you know, like incentive that's beyond like actually what they might be helpful for to get these drugs through the process of being clinically trialed to the point where they can be prescribable and hopefully someday available outside of just prescriptions so it's almost like the science is real like i actually really believe that people with trauma can benefit from mdma assisted therapy and i think there's probably a lot of other things that are it's like the trials are so because they have to be focused on we're trying to 
encourage our government to allow a drug to go off of Schedule 1, which is very restricted research only. You have to be a psychiatrist with an extra special license on top of that to move down so to 2 or 3, it, yeah. where you can prescribe it and somebody can buy it. It can come and say, I have trauma, I want to get MDMA therapy, here's my money, you give me your service, and the drug right. is part of that service. Yeah. So there's sort of like a falsity, too, of it, that it's like these drug companies are like trying to get a drug like available that then they're going to sell, and they're picking things that are like motivators to us, to our communities, and to our governments to mm. change because it costs too much. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's like really painful because my friends are suicidal or my child is suffering or whether it's like my community is spending too much money on trying to help people that are like chronically traumatized. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to name that. I think there's still yeah. so much we don't know about what this can be helpful for. Even sure. in the medical yeah. setting. We're sure. Really yeah. That makes sense. Learning. That's just it. Yeah. It's a, it's it's funny. To, it, to me, it's like this n- new science, this new way of dealing with health. Yeah. You know, but it's actually in a very old way. For sure, mm-hmm. that's coming sure. back around. Yep. <clears throat> For you sure, know? which is kind of. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like we used to joke that um, we would never put down on a resume how much LSD we'd eaten, <laughs> but now I mean. It has a validation. You've had an experience. Right. You've done some personal work. Right. You've seen some things. You're not just uh, yeah. Um, and it's not as something as much you'd hide right. these days. Like we should joke about that as graffiti writers that we yeah. would we just never let anybody know that it was something we did because it was kind of embarrassing. Right, right, right. But sure enough, now it helps for your notoriety. And, you know, <laughs> right. like they love it when they, when they see you vandalizing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's funny that yeah, way. I, mean, I used to travel with Zendo doing harm reduction for like nine weeks a year, mm. and I worked in a hospital, and I had um, I would take vacation time to go do that, and I would just mm. tell them that I was going on a vacation. Mm. I was right, really tired because they didn't know that I was working. <laughs> I was working yeah. extra nine weeks, but it was because I didn't. I didn't feel like I didn't. There wasn't a, like a recognition that I, like I didn't want to explain what I was doing, right. which was helping people that were using psychedelics and nightlife festivals. Yeah, please ex- explain that. Uh, the Zendo. It's X E N. Z. 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 It's a Z. Yeah. Z. Drink me out. Yeah. Zendo. Like in Japanese yes. Buddhism, the Zendo yes. is the place of, for doing meditation yes. practice. Yes. Great name. Yes. Yeah. So actually, the Zendo um, was created in MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, in 2012. Um, and it was called the Zendo because they had a cardboard yurt that was... That they One of those like, uh, circular, circular buildings, yeah. yes, like a temporary cardboard. building? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's on your shirt. Yeah, there it is. Oh, cool. That's the yeah. word here. That's yeah. cool. Um, and so they just gotten that from a meditation center, actually. They're not Buddhist or anything in their orientation, but they mm-hmm. got were gifted this yurt that said Zendo on the outside of it. And cool. they took it to Burning Man in 2012. Um, and their intention was to provide a safe space for people that were using psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, I met them only because I was at my first burn. It was 2011, I think, actually. I was at my first burn, and... Happened to go with your first uh, occasion at Burning Man. Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And what year was that? 2011. Okay. And I went and had just total. I'd never heard of maps. The Zendo didn't exist. This is the first year that they yeah. did it. And I just happened to be 
camping, right? My tent was right next to the Zendo. As you know, I'm a meditation practitioner. Burning Man is insane. Totally chaotic and overwhelming. So I was like, I gotta like get my my mind together. Like I feel totally overwhelmed here. And there's the Zendo. So I'm thinking it's a meditation space. So that'll be good. I'll go in and I'll meditate. And I walk in and it's this amazing woman, Lene, who um, was the director of the Zendo for the first few years and just fell in love with her. She's now a very close friend of mine. And that's where I learned, first of all, that maps existed, that people were doing research in psychology about 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I'd already had a personal relationship with psychedelics for, you know, since 1992. So I'd been running two tracks, my personal relationship with psychedelics and my professional relationship with psychology, and I never imagined they would cross, ever. I don't think any of us did. No. So the Zendo was the first place that I um, found that, and I just, they're a really great group of people. They do peer support, so it's mostly people that are experienced with psychedelics, coming in, they're not doing medical, we're not diagnosing, we just create a safe space, and we have people in there to make sure you reduce harm. So how is that? You're not hurting your body, you're not calling your mom <laughs> and saying something that you'll wish later she didn't know about. You're not breaking up with your boyfriend. Um, you're not so you're, attacking other people in the community yeah. because you're tripping balls, right? So right. it's just, and then they, we've, I've done it now on four continents, Europe, Africa, uh, Central America, and, and North America. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it's grown. It's amazing. Because yeah. that's a thing that we... Again, when we were doing drugs recreationally at the raves, there wasn't any guidance, really. Mm-hmm. There were some of the older heads that would help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't anything like, like a that. chill-out space. You could go but to the chill-out like space, and, and sometimes there was parents. somebody there that knew <laughs> what was up. But I yeah, always bring up that wasn't I, like I remember stand. people my age at raves yeah. that would like see me sitting by myself somewhere even outside tripping balls yeah and come over and be like hey kid you okay yeah. need some water right like no i'm fine man i'm just i'm in the zone dude and they'd sometimes just kick it and talk and yeah and that was the first time i kind of was explained meditation as a way to get to that same place that you're comfortable in right now which terrifies most people right you know yeah and you're yeah. actually special kid yeah, yeah, you know, because I can tell you're you're out there. Right. How much did you take? Right. You know, right. and you're just like, wow, blast yeah. it off. Totally. You know, but that's a, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I wish there was more of that, and well, especially at a place like Burning Man, right. where you're having what I would consider amateurs. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, doing hallucinogens that one time that year. They sure. don't get loose or at Burning Man. Sometimes people save up all year. They stop their SSRIs. They go out there. They don't mm. sleep. They can't. It's, mm. it's very uncomfortable for those of you who've never been there. Like, <laughs> right. I've never been. It's a survival it's experience. Yeah. yeah, it's it's extreme camping with a major arts Art event happening yeah. within it, and yeah, so people go all out or they make mistakes, and and people sure. have done that. You know, it's kind of funny now because I'm thinking that's sort sure. of what we're talking about in creating like a collective healing space. Like that is what the Zendo is. It's like a space that people can be themselves. That there will be somebody around to make sure like things right. don't go too. Yeah. You know, we don't start the wish trials, <laughs> right? right? Right. right, right. Kind of, somebody's sober. Somebody's calm. Space. Somebody knows that you can have a really out there experience, and it's different than a bad experience. Yeah. As long as there's right. a space and people that know how to 
prevent you from doing harm while you're right. doing it. Right. Don't jump off a bridge, but yeah. go ahead and have your bad trip. I'm here with you. Yeah. You're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Are you able to help people? I, I, I mean, maybe you can dispel this as a myth. I remember being told that if you were having a really heavy LSD trip and needed to calm the hell down, you could take niacin. And that would ease it off a bit. Have you ever heard anything like that? I haven't heard about niacin. niacin. But, but, I mean, are there things like that out there that um, can help counteract a psychedelic experience, say, that feels like it's getting out of hand and maybe at a point where it might become harmful? Yeah. I mean, you could inject them with Ativan. Right. Adivan. <laughs> no, I mean, these are real questions yeah. that kids Adivan, are going to want to know about. Like, Quantum. if I go too fucking far, am I just going to have to ride this out for a fucking week and go crazy? Right. Or is there something I can take to help me? Right. Or right. is it just a matter of, like, finding the right people to help you? Is that yeah. more the best the remedy? I mean, get gonna, get like around said, your if friends. If you're going to open the door, then you've uh, you got to be Here able to go. see what's on the other side. Here we go. And right. if right. it lasts for a week, something else is going on. Like right. you're taking research, really. chemical, you're having a psychotic break. You're well, that's like, really good to know. point out too. Let's yeah. say, right. what what should somebody be looking at in a normal time frame for say, you know, like uh, LSD if they're, yeah, I mean, we really didn't talk too much about LSD, but yeah, let's yeah. talk a little bit about because I remember if I a took a, like a paper <laughs> or a gel or something. There was a good six hours yep. that I might just need to be existing in a place where that's that's safe. Usually, we would do it in the park or the woods or somewhere uh-huh. where we knew, you know, there was options yeah. to move around. If you felt uncomfortable in a certain place, you could move to another place. Yeah. But it was a good six hours. But uh, there yeah. were times when With I tripped for much, much longer. Sometimes before it you starts. Know, yeah. Well, there's that too, right? Yeah. Where two or three hours later it hits you. So you yeah. need to be aware that of that too and yeah. planning. Because I used to it take LSD midday usually. For sure. So by uh-huh. the time it was 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I would have had some time to work it out of my system. Right. Maybe be... Uh, let's talk about that a little bit because people don't... Uh, they hear all kinds of bullshit about what an acid trip is like. Sure. You know, can you just ex- maybe just uh, give a personal about you don't LSD? have to get into crazy detail, yeah, yeah. but just like a what a, a a memorable LSD trip was like for you. A memorable LSD trip. Um, well, I would I would uh, go to raves in like the me too you know, the late nineties, mm-hmm. and so I would take them at night. And I remember like the biggest gift I ever gave myself was when I realized. I could give myself permission not to go to sleep that night. Oh, yeah. Because, right, right. Because, you know, the, the peak of the experience, as you were talking about, like the, the, like, the reason for the evening is that first six hours yes. or so. Yes, um, And that, you know, if you time it well, is over by like three or four. But that doesn't mean you're going to sleep anytime soon. Great. I was and, hoping you'd get into that. Yeah. And yeah. so for me, like when I learned... This is what I, this is what was like, this is what I started to really love myself, like looking out for myself. When I started discovering, you know, learning who the hell I was, I would make this kit for myself. When I came home from a rave, I had, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes. I had like a cigarette, fresh pack of cigarettes, a lighter that was, you know, like a not messed up 
jacked up lighter. You know, like all the things I want, all my creature comforts in a bag. Like I'd have clean pair of underwear that I'd put on before I even got in the car on the way home from a rave or something like that. Yeah. Clean sweatshirt, yeah. clean hat, like feeling good, feeling my body's all worn out from exercising and everything, from dancing all night. Sweaty. And now I'm just yeah. like in my comfiest sweatshirt, pajama okay. pants on maybe even. That's oh, great. Go I'm home, glad that people put on like you. Dumb and Dumber or some like mindless movie that I already know by heart and just know I'm not going to go to sleep. Like... Then I will eventually fall asleep, but it'll be like two, three in the afternoon or something. Yeah. But it can be a real hellscape when you're trying to go to sleep, especially if you've had a difficult psychedelic experience and you're like, you're ready for it Man, to I just want to go to bed and like forget about this night for yeah. a while. Yeah. And then you can't. And so then you're just up thinking, like, yeah. why can't right. I? You know, you're just like, yeah. I can't escape this. But what, like, uh, you know, like, Walk me through, how does it feel when it's, like, after you take it? You uh-huh. know, do you notice when it's starting to work? Yeah, yeah. How does I that think, feel? Um, different things happen to different senses for me. Like, um, visually, you'll get, like, the breathing. I get, like, physically a little upset, like, some upset stomach. I would always get nauseous Yeah, and I always forget about that. until I'm in that place and I go oh that's right there's like 45 minutes of regretting this (laughs) before it starts to happen but then um, then yeah a real alteration of all of the senses like I feel remarkably in control of my body like I uh, I dance way better than I do if I'm not under the influence of anything for whatever and maybe if I heavily meditated and danced and I did think some that's like something to touch meditation, on I can, t- I can tap into it but yeah. that some power that of the rave like, experience in combination with those substances like yeah. that's what you know I was talking about listening to some R.A.W. on my over here to say oh yeah it was reminding me of like yeah that was when I really discovered myself in college going to raves in San Francisco um, those experiences like connecting to something that's how I would personally you know in a recreational sense that's how I would connect to like a higher thing like when, I you, when you hear musicians talk about like when yeah, you hear yeah, musicians yeah. talk about like yeah. uh, you know I'm not playing the, I'm not playing this like I'm playing this song but like I'm not creating this song this, this song is coming through me this song right. is, like I'm a conduit for something yes like that experience i've had absolutely i think electronic music makes sense once you're high at a event like that too because you realize it's this thing that's just a a texture in the space yeah and i would just move in response to the sounds totally it wasn't like i don't know you're you're dancing but it's it's so different than like a a cha-cha or swing where there's these steps Mm -hmm. you're just responding to the sound and you're very in the moment i remember dancing with my eyes closed and i'd open them up and i'd be like really surprised at what my legs and my arms were doing yep because i was so in this zen space of just pure but also uh i remember a lot with my eyes closed, I would see these uh, fractal visuals sure. and things on LSD that were really fun. Right. And that was so often the fun when I got home and I couldn't sleep, but I would put on some techno music with headphones sure. on with my eyes closed and I would like ride the spaceship through the, the fractal galaxy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that could go for hours and I loved that part of right. it. Or even with your eyes open. 
I mean, I can remember uh, being at one sure. of those chill out spaces at a rave. It was beautifully lit, it was comfy, and there were trees above it. And just watching mm-hmm. the trees grow, grow, it just looked like the trees, I could see the trees growing. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Yeah. I remember making that connection to fractals on LSD in Golden Gate Park, walking under the trees and the way that the branches were overlapping in a chaotic yeah. you know, m- movement. I was seeing those fractals yeah. and understanding the, you know, those aha How about those aha moments, too, on acid? I had lots of those. And you always like, yeah. And they're hard to remember. They're hard to remember. You're like seeing or experiencing, whether it's through the movement and the dance you guys just talked about or the the visuals. There's like a felt sense that you're experiencing a version of reality that's always there, but you just can't usually experience. It's like, it feels like you're tapping into a different layer of being. Yes. Uh Yes. I agree. I agree. And that's such a beautiful feeling. Flow state, you know, all the language around flow states, like make a lot of sense after those experiences and stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they can be really, really beautiful and, um, sacred and yeah. Yeah. For me, also a part of the experience is something happens to my my auditory processing where I prefer to be at a rave because I can't I can't make sense of what someone is saying to me. Like they they are like someone who I know well is trying to talk to me about something I know about. And it just and sounds I like broken well, answer. I don't have it. Yes. Ever seen it happen, Herbert? And I'm you're like, like, what the fuck? I used to know like, how this works. Yes, and then, and, and and like a group of friends might be like, let's go outside and like just chill and like yeah. you know. Talk yeah. about whatever, right. and I'm like, that does not sound fun to me at all. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I don't, I just, I can't understand what anybody is saying. So yeah. I prefer to just be disorientation. Yeah, expect that. But but like, really auditorially specifically, yeah. like yeah, visually, yeah. I'm like very aware of where I am in space. Like, right. yeah, a lot of like, sure, like aware, like physical awareness, but yeah. not so much like audio. I just need to be in a sea of sound, kind right. of. That, yeah, yeah. that happened one one time in Joshua Tree. We went for a meteor. We went to see a meteor shower with a group of people, and uh-huh. I just couldn't. I couldn't function. Yeah. I was I was comfortable as long as I was like by myself, snuggled up in a blanket on the front porch, and everyone I could hear everybody who couldn't quite get it together. And it was all people I would know and love, and they would swing by and be like, "Hey, well, you should come over here. We're having a great time." And I had that exact. I was like, "There is zero chance I'm going over there." Like, no offense to you, I'm not bad, but what I'm doing is just being here by myself in this exact <laughs> position for nine hours. That's yeah, yeah. Today and like being able to ride that out, it was an experience of like we had a plan. Yeah, we had a thing sure. we were doing, and I was the only one that could not deliver on that plan because right. what I took made it be like, "This is what you're doing. You're wrapping yourself in a blanket right. and being right here by right. yourself and just." Letting all the sensations of everyone and everything yeah, around you go past. Right. And some of those aha things that stuck with me, and I don't know if it was like, because I was also just maturing as a human at the same time, like I was going to college and stuff, but seeing larger patterns and things like definitely seemed to occur around that time. And like I said, like larger patterns also, of like big things, like cultural sh- movements and. Yeah. You're able to have this yeah. bigger perspective Seeing on the world. Like, yeah, like, like in that time when I was in We're college, connected. it was like George Bush era, and yeah. it was like thinking about how how these people 
come up. They're like, like there are all these conditions that select for someone to be that person. Yeah. Anyone can fill the role. Like that yeah. kind of thinking about it where it's not like this guy is just a dude who like is a like Which a powerful is- person. It's like those people are out there, but there are also all these conditions that make for that select for that person. Like those kinds of crazy it like, out, right? visual patterns. But then but and that, it's all like and, visual and it's funny me. that you kind of bring up like politics or how that sure, works yeah. because you're like that's exactly why they fear the psychedelics because often those kinds of things you see them finally for what they right. are and you right. see that these leaders per se are just other people right. that used to be babies and right. just like you right. and shit right. and bleed and right. you know they they don't have any actual authority right you know and that can be hard to, to once you realize like, those things it can be hard to just ignore that and fall right. back into the pattern of the the nine to five culture say and, and also you know, like the, it allows you to see like t- to me like for not i really don't want to get into too much politics but like <laughs> let's say a particularly awful person in politics arises seeing like that person's popular for a reason that person isn't particularly yes. anything like they're charismatic you know whatever yeah. we've had them throughout history we had them in the Always. 20th century all over the Always. world and to varying degrees like but but we need to like be aware that in our society we have a place where that's popular mm-hmm. you know and there's some yeah. ownership we need to take in that like sure. seeing that stuff like kind of came i think from that time in my yeah. life whether yeah. it was from the experimenting or just more largely learning about the world at the same time yeah. those kinds of thoughts come up a lot in those experiences like setting, too. Setting too, like watching the news on acid is a bad idea <laughs> yeah. like, watching like, acid you know, on the news <laughs> is a bad no, idea watching the news on acid Watching the news on acid is a bad idea. Hold on, let me me save this real quick. Just a sec. Alright, so... uh, I've got a little extra time here I can record, I think. And I wanted to ask about DMT. Because that's been going around a bunch. Yeah. Um, It wasn't around a ton when I was young. And we were scared of it as ravers. I remember seeing t-shirts that said DMT was like the... Tyrannosaurus Rex of hallucinogens or <laughs> shit like that. You right. know, it really had this doom, like, oh, you like to get right. tripping balls, like, bro, try DMT. Right. But now it's around. I, a friend of mine offered it, it to is. me as a vape cartridge. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of people recreationally messing with DMT, and I get that's the one thing that most young people are asking me about too mm-hmm. is the DMT experience. Yeah, I've only done it a handful of times. Usually, um, for myself, uh, I can't. Uh, it's hard for me to move. When I'm on, when it comes on, and it usually happens immediately, as soon as I inhale, yeah, um, I feel it's difficult to move. The last time I was able to move, though, and got up out of, I was indoors and I felt really uncomfortable and had to go outside in okay. the woods, and I felt much better. Um, but I remember when my eyes were closed, there were it was like uh, what did I describe it as? It was like raspberry fractals. The color of raspberry, and it was just fractalizing my whole field of vision. But with my eyes open, it was kind of just disorienting. It felt weird. Right. But as soon as I closed my eyes again, I was back in this zone. And this the zone felt really timeless. 
like if I had been able to really relax into it, it might feel like I was in there for a long time. Sure, sure. But even like the last time I took it, it only lasted physically about 10 minutes, maybe 12. Uh And by 15 minutes after I had inhaled it, it was like I'd never done a drug at all yeah which was very different yeah. than like acid when you'd be tripping and then the, the weird feeling after it would last you know it could be a whole day yeah, yeah. you know so uh brooke I, can you walk me through a dmt experience sure so there's two types of dmt there's nn oh, and there's very different yeah you're oh. talking about nn it's usually you smoke it on a bong or something it often looks like orange crystals yes yeah, like so that's nn that's the safer of the two i think and it's the more common of that's the good two. to know so the orange generally it's like i it's almost like a little uh gummy boogery yeah, exactly. kind of yeah. Yeah, thing like to me sap, dried sap on and we would put it in a uh a bowl in a bong yep, with exactly. a little bit of weed and you really had to make sure you inhaled the, the whole yep. everything because mm-hmm. if you got just a little bit of the DMT it wasn't really going to work it's so like I, a spark it just won't snap but you got to get a good hit it's good to have to, someone there to grab the bong once it because again the immobility that I was feeling mm-hmm. you can drop things yeah. because you lose kind of control and of so your it's intense and short which i think has its pluses and cons right so yeah. I, you can do it in the morning and you can feel fine by breakfast right it's short acting and that's really wonderful it's also like a portal to a different dimension that can be very disorienting and intense for lots of people yeah right. i personally have had some of the most bizarre transpersonal experiences ever on dmt um so that that but this is this is nn right um so I think that that if people are using that, it's like you know, it could be a soft entry. I think you have to be safe about it because it's so quick, and you do you can't. Again, function. I think that's you general knowledge. You need that. Yeah, yeah, it's not to be fucked with by yourself, kind so like to speak. Nitrous. Right. Kind of like it nitrous, is. Right? Oh sure, yeah, nitrous was that way. It's and not then, functional. You don't. Yeah, right. you wouldn't want to be. Right. Like, Five MEO is, is usually like more like through a glass pipe, like a crack pipe. Um, and although there's no crack involved, I'm using that just so people can right. visualize, visualize the kind of um, or sometimes tool. people inject 5-MeO2 you know, be very careful if anyone's out there injecting drugs, it's not awesome it's that's probably not, never. Yeah. I feel like it's never a really good idea recreationally yeah, and yeah. 5-MeO I think is one of the one is like a little bit, it has a, at least like a shamanic tradition of being um, destabilizing in lots of ways so is that what's in ayahuasca? No, that's NNDMT. So that's the NN, the yeah. ayahuasca. The 5-MeO okay. is in the frog venom. Oh, the, oh right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his, uh, farm, the pharmacopoeia yeah, mm-hmm. series on uh, Vice is really great. Yeah, that yeah, kid, Hamilton, I love his, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah, he yeah. found the toad, right? And the... Yeah, yep. all so, that. But anyway, so uh, you know, so that I'm, one, yeah. I'm lucky to be in a community, obviously, that's very savvy, and I always have helpful people around me. Um, you know, I think with with five meo can last a little longer too, though it's still not hours. It's like forty minutes tops. Um, but I've had like five meo will teach a, a lesson. It teaches a lesson, I think, a lot ah. of the time. And so sometimes that's I think part of the destabilization is how do you come back to life right. with this. You know, and I, I use this term loosely because I think a lot of pseudoscience and very sort of spiritual bypassing yeah. people say this, but it's almost, it could be like a download of a very bizarre, 
understanding of something or experience itself or other that then you have to go to work that later that day or tomorrow and, and I think people can really feel disoriented lots of times people talk about what they call a reactivation with Vibamia where you're just then going through your day and later that comes back to you almost like a flashback or a or like a traumatic intrusion of something where then you're sort of like destabilized again and so if people are thinking about 5-MEO it's good to try and find someone very experienced to guide you through it yeah um yeah and clinically we're just barely touching into what that is I wanted to ask about that with DMT or just kind of getting started with that now uh, you know again for uh, a young listener that's curious about trying any of Mm -hmm. these things what might be the thing that you recommend they try first Mm psilocybin i would think so too that's usually what i do because i can ease them into it especially these days with the prepared uh you know pre-made things that have the dosage listed it's closer to like cannabis i mean cannabis is a great entry too if no if people are still not using that i think that's a great sort of i think that's a big one too if you're used to smoking cannabis and have never really uh, uh, messed with eating it especially in quantity that is a psychedelic experience oh, yeah. for sure. sure. No, no question. Sure. Some of the wildest trips I've been on were yeah. on eating uh, yeah. Uh, THC. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Like, Although I've had some, it, I mean, some of my DMT, I had, I discovered tardigrades. You know what those are? They're like these little microscopic um, bugs, kind of, that can live in space. Um, space oh, space. I've heard of that. Yeah. So yeah. I did not know those existed. <laughs> I did a DMT trip in the desert in Africa, and I was looking at the ground, which was like rocks and sand and stuff, and I looked, as the DMT kicked in, I looked, and it was, uh, I was looking, I was huge looking down on an entire metropolis of that was manned by tardigrades, yeah. and they were like driving UPS trucks and like going to, to their <laughs> jobs at the bank and like yeah. you know, picking up the trash and everything, and it was like a complex... Yeah, system, right? And and I and then you know it slowly wears off, and suddenly yeah. goes, "Oh no, that's not. No, that's just the dirt." But still, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. But still, you um, rather recommend mushrooms yeah. for people yeah, to start rather than the DMT. Also, but maybe yes, if DMT you're enjoying the weirdness of a mushroom high, maybe like, step yeah. into. Maybe then step into LSD, uh, or know, maybe try DMT first before you. So and where does MDMA kind of mix in there? Sorry. Is so I think like I said psilocybin because it's natural. It tends to be like very easy to get good stuff. It's lots of people use it, so it's not you know where DMT. You're not going to know the people that did it. But, you know, like we do a a service here too that's called, we call it psychedelic integration, but really what it is is people that are going, it's harm reduction around people that are using recreationally or sometimes spiritually. They can come in, they can talk it through, think about. And so to me, it would be like, if I was going to say a regimen, I would like, if I'm talking to you, I could sort of have some thoughts with you about what, you know you want like how much time do you have who are you going to be with how have you reacted to other things before right. what medications are you on and how there's no program. That, that, that's a great way to things about it explain to that you know really depends on the situation what you should be fucking with For sure. I mean, who you're yeah. with who you are and what is helpful and harmful to you as an individual and where you get your drugs and how reliable that source are are way more important than like uh, if someone yeah. can get 
Those are really good coins. And they have a good source for, for and, and DMT, and they don't have a good source for psilocybin, then it would be a better idea to go with the good source, drug, yeah. I think. So it's like... In general. I, I mean, one thing that we see all the time, people want to put psychedelics into the boxes of systems that they already understand. So we hear mm. all the time people being like, ah, I wish I could just take a pill of ketamine every day and it would make my depression go away. And I'm always like, that's Prozac. Like, that doesn't exist. Like, you don't... This is different. And I think even for recreational and for spiritual users, like, this is different. What we're, what what psychedelics offer us is systems change, whether that's our own individual system as a body and self, whether that's our communities, whether that's our governments, whether right. that's universal alignment, who knows? And so we don't get to say, like, you know, Cole is a psychiatrist who writes prescriptions to people for psychedelics, and, like, even that is so individualized, and it's so varied, mm. and, it, yeah. and we're still learning. There's still so yeah. much we don't know that I yeah. hate to say, like, this would be best. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm sitting with the experts, and I know these are the questions that young right. people ask me all the time, so yeah. it's just... From uh, a safety perspective, yeah, you know, like, psilocybin, LSD, have you know, it requires a ton for it to be physiologically dangerous. Mm-hmm. The danger really comes from just, ir- you know, irresponsible behavior once you're there. Once right. you have it. Of course. Know, uh, we've all heard it. the story of the, the dumbass that jumped off a wall right. when he was high, just thinking it wasn't very far away, and it was actually right. 20, 30 feet, right. and break their legs. Yeah. But like, part of that is because... Where was where were your homies? Right. What were you doing on that wall? <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going yeah. on there, bro? Yeah, yeah. So situationally, situational things make a difference. That's a huge thing. Even yeah. even maybe what above and beyond, like which substance is like where? setting up the right situation for it. Yeah, line up a group of psychonauts and say what's the best psychedelic, and they'd all say a different thing. Yeah, and sure. you could line them up the next week, and they'd all say a different thing than they said the week before too. Uh, that would be my yeah. experience too. Each I've had good times and, and tough times on everything, and dose much. and dose is so important. You know, like yeah. five which grams is so of up in the air sometimes. It's going to be just as yeah. crazy as taking ayahuasca or something. Yeah, you know, or yeah, yeah. five six hits of LSD. It's going to be yeah. just as intense as doing ayahuasca. It used to be right. ayahuasca was sort of like the most potent, but now five amino DMTs around. And, yeah, uh, and it's like having, more intense thing. Having community, having elders, having people you can ask and, and that yeah. know you is huge too. Yeah. There's resources out there, you know. Like yeah. For people for people who we work with in our clinic, you know, like for people with PTSD, people with depression, you should be seeing a mental health professional. Yeah. But it of course exists out there outside of that setting and people are gonna use them in yeah. those ways. And I think sure. there are great resources out there. Dance Safe we mentioned already, Arrowit or Arrowhead. Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. Fireside Project um, is like a um, text and phone based version of Zendo where they do psychedelic support for people. Oh, wonderful. You can call and text firesideproject.org. Fireside Project. So if you're having a difficult time and you happen to be by yourself, let's say, on a psychedelic and you need some help, there's people there available that understand what you're on and what you're feeling and can help get you through that. Right. That's so cool. So, California Center for Psychedelic Therapy mm-hmm. um, in Hollywood, California. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Just go to your website, Our website start is there. Psychedelictherapyca.com. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Right. I learned a lot today. Yeah. I hope my listeners did too. I Thank you so too. much. Thanks, Mike. Right on.